Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. It is MBA admission season, is it ever? And I am excited because I have Shelly Heinrich with me. Shelly is the Associate Dean, MBA Admissions and Director of Marketing at Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business. And we're going to talk a little bit about Georgetown McDonough. I'm a little bit biased in the sense that I went to Boston College, which is a fellow Jesuit institution. So I always have always have had a lot of respect for Georgetown. But Shelly is a guru on Georgetown's McDonough School of Business. In addition to being the assistant dean, she also is a McDonough MBA alum herself. And so what we're going to talk about today is a little bit more about McDonough um, but also get a better perspective of what she's seeing in the MBA admission cycle right now in 2021. So first and foremost, Shelly, thank you so much for joining me today on the MBA Insider Podcast. To get started, I always like to start with a warm-up question. So I would love to know from you, what's something about you that's unique about you that maybe we couldn't find if we looked at your LinkedIn profile? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think something unique about me, I'll give you a few things. So really quickly, I am a a military spouse of over 15 years. I always veteran applicants for their service because we've gone through it together and veteran spouses. I have two wonderful children and my two-year-old's birthday is tomorrow. And so I have two children. I'm a native Texan through and through. And I would say I love the art of wine. So not just Mm -hmm. drinking wine, but I love the art of, of wine. So there's a little bit about me. That's great. I live in the Bay Area, so you would I'm sure you would appreciate being able to get out here when it's safe again to fly because you would be in good company with yeah, many other people. Definitely. People. Okay, great. Thank you, sir, for sharing a little bit about yourself. So I guess let's just start and get right to it. There's one many wonderful examples of great MBA programs out there. But could you talk a little bit about what you think is unique about McDonough? And maybe just with that lens, since you've been at McDonough for a while and since you've been a student there, could you maybe give it maybe an example of a story or experience that you really think embodies what you think makes Georgetown unique? Yeah. So I think the first thing that I always talk about and that I really, truly believe is the community. I've worked at four different business schools, which have all been great, but Georgetown is the first one where I feel um, at home and I feel that there is a, a concerted effort between faculty and staff and students all propelling the school forward and all truly um, believing in the school. And But more than that, helping one another. So the uh, Jesuits, as you from, from your college experience, Jesuits have a concept or a, a, an a ethos of cura personalis, which means care of the whole person. And we truly take this to heart at Georgetown in that we're not just here to uh, you know, teach you how to do a great balance sheet or um, a great marketing plan. We're, we're teaching you to be a great leader, which encompasses your mind, body, and spirit, which leads you to be a, a great and effective leader to lead great teams in the future. And so there is this care of community here that is like no other that I've seen. I think also what makes Georgetown unique is this intersection of business and society and, and policy that we sit at. We're a true business school. 
but we are in Washington, D.C. And there are so many examples that people will have in their professional life where they're not just making a business decision. They're making a business decision where they have to take society and policy an example. And, and we're teaching students how to do that. Two examples that I always provide of like, how do you define intersection of business and policy and society? What does that mean? If you take, for example, the decision of any company, but the decision of Amazon to choose Arlington as its second headquarters, that's obviously a business decision, but they had to interact and negotiate with the city of Arlington or the county of Arlington, with the state of Virginia. They are giving back millions of dollars to the community for various initiatives. And so even that one very business decision to move their headquarters here has a lot of policy and society ramifications. And so if we're training leaders to be in the C-suite, they have to be trained to make those decisions. And so that makes Georgetown very unique. And they have a learning lab here in DC to embody that. And then I think Lastly is just us being global. I'm originally from Texas. When I moved to DC, I think I was most impressed at how many countries are represented here as a, in a district, how many countries are represented in the MBA program. We have over 40 countries and just how much that allows you to learn and change your perspective about the world. And so when you talk about diversity and inclusion, I mean, that's an element of it is learning about and working with people from countries that you maybe have never visited yourself, but, but it, it gives you a, a great, rich experience. I think those are really great examples, particularly in how it makes uh, Georgetown unique. I, I do want to drill back into the one about community because I'd love to get your thoughts and take there. I think what that is something that comes up a lot. And I think to me, two examples of why I think it comes to life at Georgetown, and you can keep me honest here, but number one, I do think the size of the program, right? In terms mm -hmm. of, I do think coming from a smaller school myself at UNC Keenan Flagler, I loved the fact that the size was just where it made it a little bit easier to get to know your classmates just from a law of numbers perspective, being a little bit smaller. But I, I think to the other thing that you spoke to, which it really speaks to me is the value set. And when you, I think when you combine a set of values that is inherently um, about building community and others with this notion of, of having a, a small class or smaller class size, I think the two of those things together really bring out a unique environment um, mm -hmm. for people, particularly those who want to build relationships with others, who want to work on something that's maybe bigger than just themselves. But keep me honest, is that fair or is that? Yeah, fair? yes, definitely. All that I think is authentic. And I would love to add on to that to say, I, I think there's some infrastructure on why our community has been built and our culture has been built to be so positive. One is that in addition to the care of the whole person Jesuit ethos, there is our Dean Almeida and Senior Associate Dean Prashant Malvia will tell you that when they were recruiting to teach at various schools, when they were looking for faculty positions, and, and both of them have taught at top programs throughout the world, they will tell you that Georgetown was the only school that in the interview process asked about their teaching in the classroom and, and their mm -hmm. care about students. Yeah. Many of the other schools would only ask about how much research they're going to produce, what journals are they producing in, and they will say to Georgetown was the only one that talked about the classroom experience. And I can you know, test that as an executive MBA student, I would have full tenured faculty members leading review sessions for me in stats or in economics and the care that they provided to make sure we understood, I was blown away by. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. No, thank you for sharing that. And I was just going to add, I just, I think about this, I think it's fair to say that for all of us, this past year has been challenging. But one of the things that I talk to MBA applicants about, or even MBA students about is just how valuable it is to have a community that, that does care. And in a time like this, right. And yeah. a time where there is adversity, when there are times there is challenge. And I don't imagine it has been easy for any of your students or faculty for that matter, but to have that kind of caring community, willing to think about others and put others first. I think that's a pretty darn good thing to have in a time like this. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And, it, and it's comforting, especially if you're an international student far from home, or frankly, you're from a domestic student far from home, to have that community to rely on is key. The other thing, when you asked about how, how do we build that community or why is it so strong? When you look at where our students go in terms of jobs post-MBA, like many other schools, the top three are finance, consulting, and technology. However, um, at many other business schools, finance and consulting are perhaps a lot bigger chunks of the pie. You know, there may be like 40, 40%. Where at Georgetown, it, the percentages are a little bit smaller because there is a, it's a good third of the students or fourth of the students that are going into other things, real estate, nonprofit, government, consumer product goods, media and entertainment. And so what that inherently does is mean that the person sitting to the right and left of you in class is not necessarily competing for that same top finance job or that same top consulting job. The person sitting the right and left of you are competing in other industries. And so it inherently reduces that divisive competition and instead actually supports like positive, positive, like you want to help each other, right? Like you want to help these people because they're not necessarily trying to get that same interview spot as you. So that naturally also makes it a, a, a more positive competition. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I guess maybe on that notion and talking about the classmates and cla just how students interact and engage, I would love to know, what does McDonough look for in its applicants? What are, what are the, some of the qualities or characteristics or thing when, they're, when you're evaluating applications? Yep. So I would say first and foremost, the same as the community and cohort. Culture and community at any organization, like you name any organization, culture is something that cannot be bought. It's not something that can change overnight. Um, it's something that's built over many years. And it took a lot of work by all, you know, everyone that came before you to build it to that. And because we love our community and culture, we, we really want to strive hard to maintain that. And so we do look for people that we feel are going to embody that same community of competitive spirit, but a collaborative competition and helping one another. We also look with for people with grit, I would you know, challenge you to ask any of our second year students, what do you do outside of the classroom? And they will list off five things that they're involved in. They'll say, I'm, I'm pro bono consulting for this company. I'm president of this organization. I'm going on this international trek to this. They will rattle off a list of things, but all of our students will tell you that. And so these are students that are coming here. They realize they have 20 months if they're doing the full-time program to propel their career and they take advantage of every opportunity. They are busy. And they're outside their comfort zone and they embrace being outside of their comfort zone. So you know, that's what we look for. And we try to look for in, in our applicants as well. So just to follow up on that, I think one of the things that I've noticed with applicants, not just for Georgetown, but for any school, they intuitively grasp the importance of trying to understand the culture or trying in their applications to highlight what that means to them. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes the, the challenge is for them to double click into that and to really make that come to life in their application or in their interview, I would love to know just from your perspective, 
what do good applicants do in order to demonstrate that, right? Like how do, how do you get to that? Because I, I do see it sometimes as a challenge. Yeah, a lot of it is sometimes the things that come outside of the application. So sure. when they come to our various events, how are they interacting with the other applicants? How are they interacting with the current students, with the alum? In their emails to our staff, are they, what's the tone? Are they positive? Are they constructive? Do they have other students and alum that have met them and will advocate for them? So sometimes it comes from outside of what's on the paper and more the interactions with our community. Not everyone can have that opportunity as well, but even if you're international and can't visit campus, you can still make an effort to reach out to our student ambassadors that are available to everyone over the phone or Zoom Mm -hmm. and, and just get to know the community more. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I sometimes advise, and you can, again, you can tell me, keep me honest if this is good or bad advice. Most schools have some sort of set of core values or some set of core beliefs. You'll hear people like yourself talk about them or you hear students talk about them. And and so what I always encourage folks to do is to, number one, internalize those for yourself to make sure that those are the types of things that resonate with you and, and are part of, to your point, part of the culture of an organization that you would want to be a part of. But then number two, to then you know think about how might, how have you maybe embodied these in the past or how could you embody these if you were a part of Georgetown or any other school for that matter, just to make it more real? Yeah. Great. Uh, we've talked a little bit about what you look for and we've talked a little bit, you mentioned a, a bunch of characteristics that were unique about you know, Georgetown in terms of the community and the cohort and being in DC. We'd love to know from you, what's one program or experience at McDonough that applicants should know about that you're really proud of or you're really excited about? Yeah. So there are a lot of hands-on experiences. I think the one standout that students always talk about is the global business consulting experience, global business experience. It is mandatory. It's a required part of the curriculum. In the second year of study, so for full-time students, it would be in March of their second year. For flex students, it would be in July of their second year. You are with a team of about six students, and you're consulting for an external company. And you're solving a scope of work problem for them and then presenting your recommendation to that client in their home country. So for students, they get a list of the projects. For full-time, there's about 40 projects. For Flex, probably around 20. They're spread out all over the world, typically in about six different countries over different continents. And you rank your first, second, and third choice. Most students would get their first or second choice. So for example, my team, when I was with the Executive MBA, we consulted for Philips in Seoul, South Korea. We were, or they were launching a new healthcare product and we, my team had to develop the marketing launch strategy and the competitive analysis for that product. And so we would meet with the client once a week. We would, it was about 9 p.m. Eastern time. So that was about 10 a.m. Seoul time. We would have calls with the client and share with them progress updates on our project. They would provide us feedback to say, you need to fix this or what about this? Or here's some more information about this. And then it concluded in us going to Seoul for a week and presenting our recommendations to the CEO of Philips in Seoul and a couple of his executives, which happened to also be alum. And then as a cohort, we also did various alumni events there in Seoul and cultural activities, et cetera. So it's it's always a, a great experience. I think for me, I had never worked in the healthcare space before, and I had never done marketing for a for-profit healthcare client. And so After the experience, I thought, huh, if I ever wanted to switch industries, 
I could do that. It gave me the confidence that I could switch and pivot. And so I think it's really beneficial to students for that reason. That Thanks for sharing that. And I think what sticks out to me about that is, number one, the global nature of it, two, the getting a unique opportunity, but three, a little bit of hands-on experience. And to what you said, being able to have that in your back pocket, in your toolkit as something that could be useful in your career down the road. And one of the things that strikes me about this program and maybe others is just there does seem to be a lot of focus at Georgetown around these experiential learning types of programs. So could you maybe talk a little bit more about that and, and why it is so valuable, particularly for MBA students at this juncture kind of in their career? Yeah. So experiential learning is the way to take what you're learning in the classroom and practice it before you go into real life. So you, you, it's, it's always important to, to hear something and absorb it, but then to put it into practice and, and really experience it. So another one of my favorite hands-on initiatives is the executive challenge. So it is the final exam day of one of our leadership courses, where if you can imagine this, 250 students all dressed in suits uh, arrive into Hariri at 8 a.m. with coffee in hand, and they go through a day-long essentially competition amongst their peers that is being judged by about 140 C-suite level alumni who've flown in from around the world on their own dime. And they are the alumni are playing roles in their judging. So they, if you think of like a shark tank where they have their various roles and personalities, our alum take on different roles and personalities and they coach them through these executive challenge experiences and, and scenarios. And ultimately there's a winner, there's a large reception at the end and it's also great networking, and it's a way for our alum to, to help others. We have a Hoyas helping Hoyas mentality. And so these C-suite level alum give back, but students go through this grilling experience, and it's their final exam. And then the second part of it is, as a second year, you can apply to be a leadership fellow, which is a leadership coach, and it's a class taught by Professor Elvin Williams, where you learn how to coach the students through the executive challenge experience. So it's it's definitely a, a great full circle initiative. Yeah, that's, I think that's a great, and I think what I like about these opportunities is, I think it hits on a point that you made. It's, I think these are great places to, to test and learn. And I always like to say it's the, probably the, the safest place to fail because you just, if you, nothing, there's no downside, you learn and you can move on. But certainly I think the other aspect to your point, not only do you have um, alum who are there to, who are experts who can guide and coach, but also to your point, the peer element of it too, in terms of learning from your second years. And so I think that learning community component is a really great, in addition to applying, being able to apply what you've learned in the classroom. I think those feedback loops are really great in terms of growth and an opportunity and, and whatnot. Okay. I want to transition a little bit. So it's definitely been uh, a challenging year in terms of out MBA in the world, but also MBA applications. And I think at this point you've had, I think about uh, a couple rounds of app applicants come through at this point. I think you had round one, I think maybe round twos just can't came in. Would love to know just what you're seeing so far in terms of trends or any insights that you might be able to share. Yeah. So yes, it was an interesting and, and rough summer, but the silver lining of the summer was that it allowed us to innovate and be creative and take risks much quicker than we would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. So it has been a breath of fresh air to come into this season with applications up 30% in round one, and so far in round two, up 12% in, 
and um, the quality of both of those around the quality of applica uh, applications also being up. So it's been a great relief for our team. I know it can make applicants somewhat trepidatious because then they are starting to analyze what their probability of success is. But, but it's no different than perhaps what it was three or four years ago. So as the MBA applications in the U.S. have been declining over the past few years. So this year, I think we're seeing a rebound to maybe what it was two or three years ago. Now, because we allowed deferrals this summer, we took an empathetic, very Jesuit approach and allowed about triple the amount of deferrals that we normally would have. Our deposits for round one are almost up about two and a half times year over year what they were last year, because wow. many of those deposits mm -hmm. have gone ahead and, or sorry, yeah, many of those deposits were deferrals from last year. Yes, perhaps it, it will be more competitive than last year, but what I tell applicants is if you submit your application, you don't know what we're looking for at any given week or any given month. You may be the perfect candidate that we want at that time. And you know what? Even if we initially put you on the wait list, we like to have conversations with you to say, look, this is why you're on the wait list. These are some things that you could improve. And in a best case scenario, we're able to find a spot for you this year. In a worst case scenario, we ask you to reapply next year. And we have a lot of fantastic reapplicants and it's not frowned upon at all. It's actually uh, looked highly upon. The other thing I would say is things are looking good right now. What I've learned from experience is you never know what's behind the corner, right? If we all think back to this time last year, we could have never predicted that COVID was going to wreak the havoc that it did. And so we don't know what the next five, six, seven months look like in the world. So just apply. If you're ready and you have a good application, go for it. I think that's great advice. And just as a follow-up to that, as you mentioned last year, we couldn't have predicted really how things have evolved, but would just love to get your sense just from talking with current students, you know, current MBA students at Georgetown in terms of how their experience um, has been going or even maybe even evolved during over the course of this year, as obviously things in the United States have evolved as well. And I asked the question in the sense of just trying to give more context to applicants out there about just a little bit of the changing nature of how business school is going and what they might what's what they might be expecting in the future. Yeah. So in terms of students applying in the future, while we don't know what this next fall will look like, I think with pretty good certainty, we will say we can say it look much better than it did this past fall. It's not going to be maybe perfectly back to normal, but it will be better. And we had, let's see, in this past fall, we had 30 international students that were able to take classes on campus. And then starting next week, we are allowing students back on campus. So MBA students, I should say, I'm specific, specifically speaking for MBA students, are allowing them back on campus if they meet the stringent COVID protocols. And for those classes where professors um, will be teaching in person, we will be bringing them back in classrooms that, again, meet the criteria of spacing and distancing. So things are slowly starting to, to look better. Now, you know, what I always, one of the questions I always get asked is, what will recruiting look like when I graduate? And I tell them, you're going to be graduating in 2023, and it's going to look a lot different. COVID will be hopefully a distant memory by then. Your global business experience will be a, traveling internationally. What we will be, COVID will be in the rearview mirror. I try to get students to focus on what their experience will look like versus what it's looked like this past year. For this past year, I couldn't authentically tell you that it's been perfect. I couldn't say that it's been 
just as good as it would have been had we been fully on campus, just as all of our lives have been. They've been disrupted. Things have been different. But we've gotten into a rhythm and we are still training students to tackle the world's challenges and training them um, to be global leaders. And we still have the phenomenal resources of our alumni and, and our students and our, and, and our faculty. And the one thing that I noticed about this incoming class was that I think people that, that started this year, they almost knew and they overcompensated for the fact that they knew their community and connections were going to be different or hindered. And so they started connecting this past summer before I've ever seen cohorts do it. So I checked in with some of them in July and they're like, yeah, we've already been doing yoga classes. We've already been having happy hours. We're already on all these networking recessions, like in a way that I've never seen students um, engage. And so in some, in some examples, they were more connected going into it because they knew they would have to be. And so that's been great. And also we're entering a new future of work. We're entering a, a world where things are going to be more virtual because there's some silver linings in it that companies have noticed. And, and so our students will be better prepared to deal with that. I think that's a great, I think all that's great. And I really appreciate the last point that you made because it, I, at, at least right now, there couldn't be anything more real world experience than learning how to effectively work virtually because mm -hmm. that is legitimately what life is like for the majority of MBA alums right now. So I think it's direct learning how to learning how to do that, learning how to build effective relationships virtual uh, uh, when you're constrained by virtual uh, communication is also something that kind of comes to mind there as well. And so I think that's I think that's all really great and sound advice. And I am optimistic that this there will be some positive things happening that will help uh, make this fall a little bit more manageable than perhaps the last one. Shelly, just to close out here, would love to know what advice do you have for how perspective or admitted students, how they should, you know, engage with the school when they're making their admissions decision. And these are the folks who have made it through the process, gotten that nice acceptance letter. And now some of that hard stuff in the application is, is behind them, but like that big decision is in front of them. But what advice do you have in terms of how can they go about making like that big decision and, and doing it in a way that is, that is best for them, just knowing that it, it is a big decision? Yep. So you have to do your research. And when I say that, talk with people, talk with current students or alum. If you have reservations about the ROI or about what you're actually going to gain in the experience, about whether you can handle the work-life balance, you have to talk with other people to gain their perspective. And you do that at each of the schools that you're considering, because you'll start to get a different feel for what each school is like. And you'll start to then figure out which one is right for you. The websites are great. The blogs are great. But having conversations with people is, is really the best way to get your questions answered. We have student ambassadors that are back to school, excited and ready to talk with you. We have alumni. We have various events. And so the more that you go to those things, the more you're either going to be convinced that this is the right path for you or you're going to decide, maybe I need to wait a few years. But either way, you'll feel more confident in the decision. So we welcome you to attend our events, talk with our students, and get to know us a little bit better. Great. Shelly, thank you so much for joining me today and for talking about Georgetown McDonough. It's a pleasure to have you. And for all of our listeners out there, round three applications for Georgetown are due March 29th, and round four is due April 26th. If you're interested, we hope you apply. Shelly, thanks so much for joining. Thank you. Have a great day. Hi, everyone. LD here, and thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, 
make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.